This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to TVN's Praise Podcast, hosted by Matt and Lori Crouch where you will hear interviews with some of your favorite Bible teachers, pastors, authors, and Christian leaders. On today's episode, Max Lucado hosts New York Times bestselling author and speaker, Sheila Walsh, as she shares her personal testimony. Be encouraged as Sheila unpacks how God will use your story and all the broken parts to provide healing and redemption for others. What a treat to see you. You too. You know, people people uh, may not know a lot about your family. Can you just tell us a little bit about where everybody is and how it's going? Sure. Um, my husband, Barry, and I will have been married 25 years this year. Awesome. We have a son, Christian, who will turn 23. He's a senior at Texas A&M. Yeah. So we're just, we're very blessed. Oh, I mean, that's great. I love speaking. I love writing. I love all that. But more than anything, I love being a mom. Do you really? Oh, gosh. I remember when he was born. Yeah. 20, how old is he? He'll be 23 in December. And I was not the kind of woman who always wanted children. My thing was, you had them, you hold them. (laughs) But the minute that Christian was born, something was born in me. I just, I've loved every single day. There there may be somebody who's recognizing that I speak with a Texas accent. (laughs) They may not recognize your accent. Tell, Tell a little bit about your story. I think it's a wonderful story. I was born on the west coast of Scotland, a small fishing town on the west coast, um, to a mom and dad who both loved Jesus, which wouldn't be unusual in many, many American cities, but in Scotland, less than 2% of our population even went to church. So to have a mom and dad who loved Jesus was such a gift. But when I was only five, my father had a massive cerebral hemorrhage, and it changed his personality. And he became, instead of being this loving, fun dad, he became an angry, confused, and ultimately violent stranger. And it came down one day to my father attempting to take my life, but my mom intervened and he was taken off to what was called back then our local lunatic asylum. It'd be like a psych hospital these days. And he managed to escape from there and he committed suicide, took his own life in the river behind the hospital. Mm. Mm. So all these ideas that Christian communicators have had the easy life. Yeah. You know, I honestly think, and I, I know this from from your life, from so many authors that I love to read and that I, I connect with. It's the same as when I read the Psalms from David yeah. that you connect with because those who have had their hearts broken know that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted yeah. and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I would imagine a lot of people listening right now are saying, I needed that word. Yeah. I needed that word. Yeah. You know, um, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for a redemption story in your life. I love redemption stories. Me too. Me too. What was intended as evil, God used for good. And I think it's the difference between wounds and scars. Okay. You know, wounds are fresh. Yeah. And when your wounds are fresh, you're not really able to minister to others. Yes, exactly. Right. But when it's a scar, yeah. then it's like Second Corinthians 1, we can comfort one another yeah. with the same comfort with which we've been comforted. Right. Scars are proof that God heals. You you talk about scars in this book, which we are here, (laughs) at least in part, to discuss. This terrific book, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And you talk about the 
the beauty and the value and the importance of scars. Can you unpack that just a little bit? Well, you know, so often we try and hide our weakness or our brokenness from one another as if somehow that disqualifies us. But I've found that it's usually the very things that have wounded us when, when lifted into the presence of God and he touches them that he will then use in the lives of others. If Christ chose to rise from the grave with the marks of crucifixion, why would we be ashamed of our scars? Mm. To me, that's one of the ways that we can minister to one another. Mm. You know, I, we've all got different stories. Mine is, I struggle with mental illness. I've been diagnosed with clinical depression. So I take medication every day. And initially I thought, well, I'm never gonna tell anyone that because you know, they're just gonna think I'm talking to some imaginary dog and drooling on myself. But I, I, I rarely do that. Um, rarely. rarely, rarely. But to be able to say to others, you know what? This isn't your spiritual life, it's your brain chemistry. And there's help available and God is with you. And to be a little further down the road and look back and say, you know what? The good news is Jesus is here. Yeah. So that's to me why God uses our scars. He was in, he's in your story, right? Yeah. He's in your story. Just a, two or three days ago, I, um, uh, we've been talking about travel. I've been traveling a lot. I had one day, in, I live in San Antonio, as you know, and I had one day to kind of be home and get everything done. And so I, I was out of clean shirts. And so I took <laughs> the shirts over to, to a cleaner and there was a new manager there. And uh, I said, who are you? I've never seen you here before. And he told me, he said, um, he said, uh, I recognize you. You're that pastor from down the street. And our church is just right down Interstate 10 from the cleaners. He said, uh, I, I uh, became a Christian in prison. I said, really? I said, tell me your story. He said that uh, he, he spent seven years in prison um, for breaking and entering. Uh, but the girl he was dating uh, she quoted verses to him. This is all before he went to prison. She was always quoting verses to him. When he was sent to prison, he said those verses came up uh, inside him like a life, uh, like, like wow. it just gave him life. And he gave his heart to Christ. And what made me think of that story is he said, uh, and now I'm every Thursday night in the prison teaching those men that their lives are going to have a story. And I said, look at that. What was intended for evil. Brilliant. was used for good. So he's using his scar. I mean, he's not hiding it yeah. and he's, he's, he's using it so we can take those, I don't know, those challenges that come our way. But that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, if you think about everybody who's watching, everybody here in our studio audience, we all have a story. Absolutely. And if we learn to, to, to me, it's a beautiful thing that God will do with a broken life if you yeah. give him all the pieces. Yeah. And to see the way that he is such a redeemer, yeah. he wastes nothing. Wastes nothing, yeah. You know, really, when you think about it, um, outside of Jesus, everybody in the Bible was messed up. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, is there anybody who didn't blow it? Not a number. I'm trying. Maybe I'm the whale. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of running a mental checklist down here. I'm no. trying to think. Abraham lied about his wife. Uh, David, great man of God, but he cheated on his friend and wife. And I mean, the, the, the list is not that good, no. except God is good. Yes. God is good. Yes. God takes Always. those lives, right? Yeah. That for me was such a turning point. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was I used to pursue perfection and right. it nearly killed me. Now I pursue Christ who is perfect. Okay. And then it's just that 
that's so much easier. We don't need, we don't need um, somebody else to tell us more things we're not doing right. No, I think we're well aware. We're, we're pretty good at that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Can I turn the tables and ask you a question? If it's an easy one. <laughs> you know, one of the things I find fascinating about you, Max, is that you're such a prolific writer. And I have benefited so greatly from your writings. But in this particular time in our country, where there's so much division, if you go on social media, people are yelling at each other, we're so polarized. Why did you choose this space and time to write a book on happiness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I came across some, some really interesting research, and curious to see if it surprises you as much as it did me, that only one in three Americans say they're happy. Only one in three. So this means that uh, two out of three people that you see, you know, in a grocery store or driving down the highway or they're, they're living under a cloud of grayness. And so uh, it just got me thinking, why is that? How did that happen? How did we get to the point? And this, and, and this is the lowest, that particular research tool, uh, the lowest that the Americans have ever scored. Wow. We, we've never been lower. We are low. And, uh, and, and, and happiness is in short supply. And I think that's contributing to this uh, hostility. Yeah. Is that a good word? Yeah. This, this rivalry. And as, uh, and, and as we head into yet another uh, political year, I think it's going to be even worse. And so I, I, think, I think that there is a need for us to rediscover where happiness comes from. And it's not in the next acquisition, not in the next house, uh, but there is, there is a happiness that can come that no one can take away. In the one out of three who were happy, was there a common thread? Those, those researched, those in- interviewed, discussed that they, they have a happiness that doesn't depend on circumstances. That, that's a biblical principle. That is, the, Jesus said, we're happier when we give than when we receive. Yeah. He flipped it all on his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we live in a, in a culture that says you're happy if you receive and not when you give. And so there's the big idea. If you want to find how happiness happens, you become one who gives happiness to others. Uh, and, and you see your, your scars and your wounds, your whole story as something that can, that can contribute to other people. Wow. This phrase, this title of, of your book, it's okay not to be okay. What do people say when they see that? <laughs> well, initially, some people questioned me because it's like, well, I thought the whole point was we're supposed to be okay once we come to Christ. Um, and my thing was, you know what? I tried that for years. Yeah. I mean, I remember the night I gave my life to Christ, I was 11 years old. And my mom said something that would be good news to most people. She said, Sheila, not only is Jesus Christ your Savior and you get to make him Lord of your life, but you have a heavenly Father watching over you. But what I heard was I've got one more chance to get it right. Mm. Whatever my earthly dad saw in me that made him seem to hate me, I don't want my heavenly father ever to see that. I'm gonna be the perfect Christian if it kills me. And it, and it almost did. I really based my relationship with God on me getting everything right, on me being the perfect Christian, on never messing up, on always being there. But I lived a very lonely life. You know, you can hide in ministry. Some people think, you know, that they use drugs or alcohol or relationships as a kind of mask. You can use Christian ministry as a place to hide, you know, because you just think, I don't know what else to do. And it was only when my life crashed, and that was God's mercy, 
that I discovered it's okay not to be okay. When I had nothing left to commend myself. I mean, when you're in a psych hospital and they've taken all your stuff away and they place you on suicide watch, and that morning you've been the co-host of the 700 Club, there's not much left to say about yourself. But I wrote in my journal that first night, I never knew you lived so close to the floor. Mm. I'm so used to worshiping God in his majesty as we should. But this, the truth of Psalm 34, you know, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I discovered that night, for all my prayers that I'd prayed through the years, and that the most, sometimes the most powerful prayer is simply, help. Mm. Help me, Lord. Mm. I'm, I'm drowning. Help me. Yeah. And, and that's where the brokenness in me met the beauty in Christ. Yeah. You get to the end of the rope and find out you have the beginning of a relationship with God. Right. Did you sense this coming over a period of time? Uh, this, this, you called it the crush or this collapse. Could you tell it was coming? I could. I didn't know. Um, I didn't really understand much about clinical depression, right. particularly if you're in ministry. You know, and particularly if you're on a program that talks about healing. You know, yeah. you're not supposed to be yeah. falling off your chair. Um, but yeah, I would get, go to the ATM and couldn't remember my pin number, mm. couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. But more than that, there was this overwhelming sadness, not just a bad day, but just this crushing weight of sadness. And I thought, you know, Lord, I'll do anything. I fasted and prayed for 21 days. I had nothing but water for 21 days. My and I said, Lord, if there's anything in me that's displeasing to you, please show me. But I was just left with this emptiness. And God in his mercy, sometimes God will take you to prison to set you free. Hmm. That's what happened to me. That's good. Did you hear that? <laughs> Some days God will take you to a prison to set you free. If that describes you, my friend, then the Lord has you listening right now for that very reason. He hasn't given up on you. In fact, this trouble that you're going through could very well be the answer to your prayers. I know it's not the way you wanted your prayers to be answered. You didn't ask for the storm. But listen, Christ came walking on the water in the middle of the storm. And he comes still in the midst of the storm. And he may be coming to you. Why don't you look up to him? Listen to what Sheila's saying. What was that about the floor? You never... I never knew you lived so close to the floor. Yeah, and that's where you were. I was on my face in my room, tears soaking the carpet. Yeah. But I felt as if I felt Christ's presence right there with me, not telling me to pull myself together. I felt like... Do you remember when Elijah, after he'd had that great yeah. showdown, that Madison Square Garden moment on Mount Carmel... And suddenly he's like in the wilderness and he's fed up and he said, Lord, take my life. And you would think, well, if the angel of the Lord's going to show up, he's going to say, what are you doing? Get up. <laughs> but he didn't. He, get, he told him to have a nap and made him lunch. Yeah. God understands our humanity. We think we're supposed to be superhumans. God understands our brokenness. Yeah. We hope you're enjoying the Praise Podcast. We'll get back to the interview soon. When people talk to you about depression, um, what, what kind of questions do they ask you? Um, is it okay to take medication? My, my church doesn't believe in medication. Um, don't you think I could just get well by reciting scripture? 
And I believe in the power of scripture more than almost anything else other than the working of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of scripture. But you wouldn't say to a child who fell off a swing, you know, you can do all things through Christ, so get up and walk. Yeah. You would get help for them. Right, right. But a lot of people feel as if, if somebody knew that I went to get help. In fact, a pastor, during the days of women of faith, you know, when I traveled with women of faith, yeah. I got a letter from a pastor on the West Coast and he said, um, my, a whole bunch of women from my church are coming to the conference, but my wife is not. She struggled with depression for years, but no one in the church knows because she thinks if people knew, it would impact my ministry. And he said, is there any way you would meet privately with her? And I said, absolutely. I flew in a day early and I arranged to meet them at the hotel where I was staying. And she wouldn't even make eye contact with me, but I'd found a room where she and I could go and the pastor stayed in the lobby. And we sat down and I said to her, listen, you don't have to tell me a thing about your life, but if you would allow me, I'd love to tell you about mine. And I told her about the depression. I told her about nights when I contemplated ending my life. I told her what it was like to live under this weight and the shame attached with it. And then I told her how Christ had rescued me. And I realized that those who look to him will be radiant with help. No shadow of shame will touch their faces. And at the end of an hour, we were both on our knees, tears streaming down our faces, lifting our hands to our heavenly father. And honestly, Max, as I watched that woman run out of that room into the arms of her husband, I thought, Lord, I would do that. I would go through that a hundred times for that one woman mm. to know that she's not alone. Is that part of the the entanglement of depression is not only did it, did it pulls us under, but it, it tells us we can't talk to others about yeah. it, can't acknowledge it because it's an admission of weakness. Is yeah. that it? It's, it's the shame and the stigma. And sometimes in the church, we've not done a very good job no. about demythicizing it. Yeah. And to me, here's how I distinguish between guilt and shame. If I said something unkind to you, I would feel guilty until I could say, Max, I'm so sorry. That was totally me. Please forgive me. So if guilt tells me I've done something wrong, shame tells me I am something wrong. Mm. And what do you do with that? Mm. I mean, I'm thinking of those listening and watching just now, or even in our studio audience, the abuse that they've struggled with might not have been physical abuse like mine. It could have been sexual abuse or <clears throat> verbal abuse. But when you don't know what to do with that, you just shove it into the cellar of your soul. Mm. And somehow it just leaks out, but you mm. feel who can I talk to about this? Because there's something wrong with me. Hmm. You know, uh, two or three years ago, I wrote a book on anxiety. And I had a paragraph that I, that I added in the last draft, almost a throwaway comment. Not, I didn't mean it throwaway, but I thought maybe I should just say this. And I just added a paragraph uh, that said... Uh, you know, for most of us, this scripture that we're going to study, which happened to be Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. For most of us, this will help us deal with anxiety. For many of us, however, we need more than just a Bible study. We need the help of a psychiatrist. We need the help of a professional. And we need medicinal assistance. And I just, I think I'll put that in there. I can't tell you how many times I have had people say that paragraph, I needed that. I needed permission to acknowledge that anxiety is sucking me under. 
and more than, and this almost sounds funny with two Bible teachers saying this, but, but more than just a Bible verse, you know, we're not saying at all the farthest thing. In fact, I, I, I think just the opposite. We, we, we need to find help. Yeah. And part of God's help for you could be uh, in the counsel of a, of a trusted doctor or psychiatrist or respected pastor. It could be that, that you, it's, it's, it's more than uh, what we're, even what we're talking about now. May God bless you. Here's the big point, I think. And I think Sheila agrees. And God wants you to be, to be healthy. But we live in a world where that's difficult. It's hard. We're all under attack. We're being besieged from every angle. And on top of that, and as a picture of that, the devil is here. I mean, he's just really trying to suck the joy out of our lives and pull us under. And he's succeeding with many, many lives. Don't let him have yours. Don't. You're known by God. You're chosen by God. You can be indwelt by God and saved by God. Don't buy into this lie that says that you don't matter. He cares deeply about you. And if you need to get help, just get some help. Now, one of the things you talk about in the book that, that I think we could un, need to unpack is the difference between God help and self-help. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. This is not a self-help book. It's, self-help is no help at all. Okay. To me, it's like we need help from the Word of God. We need help from godly friends. And can I say one more thing just to tag on to what you said sure. there, Max? Yeah. Even though I have a diagnosis of depression, I have rearranged the letters. If you take the word depression and you rearrange the letters, what you get is I pressed on. Wow. And that is my story. I press on toward the goal to finish the race. (laughs) So it's, it's a combination of both understanding what might be true in this world, but because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, because of Christ, because of a community of believers that we're part of, every single day, I press on press to on. know him more. So you took help from all angles yeah. and continue, yeah. right? Absolutely. Continue to re- receive help from all angles. I you do. avail yourself of everything. Yeah. And, and you don't, you're, you're not trying to project this image that you've got it all together. No, no, I think people just have to take a wee look at me. It's clear I don't quite have it all together, but you know what, that's the great thing I don't have to have. I think one of the most liberating things is realizing that Jesus invites us to come as we are, not as we wish we were. C.S. Lewis wrote about that, that we hold up before God, not what we wish was in us, but what is in us. And and when you realize, it's like our friend, Nay Bailey, she asked me one time, she said, Sheila, how would you feel if a movie was made of your life and it was put on television? Everything, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said. And, you know, I often ask that of my audience. How would you feel? And she said, the truth is God has seen your movie and he loves you. Mm. There's nothing that God doesn't know about you and loves you passionately. Yeah. He's seen us from beginning to end. Yeah. As my preacher friend used to say, from birth to hearse. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> from birth to hearse. And he wants us in his kingdom. He does. Tell us something else about this. Maybe there's something I've not asked you, I've I've skipped. Is there something else about this message that you think is really essential for us to hear? One of the things, Max, that I think really matters is if you want to change the way you act, you have to change the way you think. Okay. 
You know, I think that we have to re-wallpaper our minds. We're so used to thinking the same old negative thoughts uh-huh. over and over and over. Yeah. And for me, it's like, I, I love at the end of um, Ephesians 6, where it t- talks about taking up um, the sword, which is the word of God. And the word that's used for sword isn't the word that's used for a long sword, it's a dagger. And the word is not a capital W, which would mean the whole of the word of God. It's a small W, rhema, it means you know, parts of the word of God. Mm. So we each find our dagger. Mm. You know, if you struggle with anxiety, then you find a scripture Mm. that deals with that. If you deal with whatever, you have those daggers ready so that when the enemy comes up against you, like I used to, um, when I lived with so much fear, I would remember Psalm 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So have those ready when that enemy comes after you. Because all he can do is throw things at us. He has no idea if we'll believe them. He's not omniscient. He's not God. He'll throw things at us and we can just, you know, stick our feet down and stand up strong and throw the word of God right back in his face. And he hates the word of God. He does, which is why I love it. That's right. That's right. He does. He does. You know, um, I, 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 like, I like to think of it this way, that just because we have a thought, we don't have to think it, you know, because <laughs> we get these thoughts that come at us all the time. And we think that just because it's in our head, we have to let it come in and take right. up residence. The truth of the matter is we can take every thought captive, yeah. right? And say, wait a second. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Yeah. I've read the Bible <laughs> or I've read portions of it. Or the Lord is my shepherd and we can stand against it with that scripture. Yeah, Taking I love those that. thoughts captive, I renewing our mind. Yeah, changes everything. You're a special, special person. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me as your guest. This was fun. Oh my goodness. It went too fast. It did, just like that. It went too fast. We were just getting started. <laughs> Maybe we'll get another chance. That would be fun. Hey, all the very best to you. Would, would you mind offering a prayer oh, I'd love for to. all who are listening? and especially for those who need healing. I would love to do that. No matter where you are, God sees you. He knows your heart. I'd be so honored to lift you up in prayer. Father God, thank you that you are a merciful, kind Father. Yes, Lord. Thank you that you see everything that's true about us, even the things we try to hide. And you want to shine your light into the darkest places. Lord, I pray for anyone who's struggling with depression, with anxiety, with shame, with feeling they'll never be enough. Thank you, Jesus, that on the cross, you took everything on yourself. You paid the bill in full so that in you, we can be more than enough. I pray your peace and your grace and your mercy on everyone watching in right now. Thank you that you love us in the wonderful, powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. And all the church said, Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of TBN's Praise Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and consider leaving a review. We look forward to having you join us back here next week.